this 2.30 service, we're going to have communion after a message on communion. And I love to do this from time to time. And I've got to tell you that in many ways, the, the way we do it here in this church is not as good as it could be. We've got to say that. But we think that even under these COVID restrictions, you're being able to do something is better than nothing. But I would love to be able to introduce into the life of the church a full understanding of the celebration of the Lord's Supper and communion. And so as I address you now, my topic is this. What happens when we take communion? When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What happens when we take communion? Now, communion or the Lord's Supper is a sacrament of Christian participation. Now, I'm not frightened of that word sacrament because the way that it is defined in Reformed churches is it's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality. But in our own free church tradition, we tend to refer to both baptism and communion as the ordinance of Jesus for the church. He left us with two things to do, which fits into this category, water baptism and communion. So both communion and baptism are rich in symbolism. One thing is sure, the water is, is a symbol of the washing that we experience when we give our lives to Christ in baptism. And the bread and the wine are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus. But I suggest to you that these are not mere symbols. In other words, it's just a physical act that have, has no spiritual results. I, I, I'm not suggesting that we develop our understanding to the fully-fledged sacramentalism that is present in some Pentecostal churches, but mainly the mainline churches and so forth. We, we don't have that view. We would tend rather not to follow Roman Catholic teaching on transubstantiation or Lutheran teaching on the real presence. Uh, we're much more Zwinglian. These are some uh, characters from the uh, Reformation where it was the emphasis was upon the symbol. But they are powerful symbols. And if we participate in faith and in anticipation in the Spirit, we'll find that these are not just acts. These are powerful spiritual events in which God has promised to do something very special. Now, I'm treading a middle road here rather than going down one extreme or the other. So I need to define for you exactly what takes place. When you take communion now, you are not going to receive something that you didn't have before. Your water baptism does not save you as an act. It's your faith in Christ that saves you. The communion, bread and wine, do not bring something spiritual in your life 
that you had not already received by faith. We are saved by faith in Christ, not through any sacramental means. And that's something that I know many of you will appreciate the distinction. So if this is not something that conveys salvation to you, what does it do? Both baptism and communion do not convey salvation to you, but confirm in you the salvation that you've already received. Everything that is symbolized, both in the water, and I'm going to stick more particularly to the communion, the bread and the wine, everything that is symbolized in the bread and wine is an indication that God is going to powerfully work in you to underline, to strengthen, and to wonderfully, wonderfully reveal to you all that you have in Christ. The difference between water baptism and communion, amongst other things, water baptism is, is the ordinance of Christian initiation. I wanted to mention that because we've been restricted in doing any baptisms, especially the way we do them, and underneath my feet there's a tank, and then when it's full we put you in and don't forget to raise you up again. And I would love to hear from you if you're waiting to be baptized. We're going to work out just as soon as you possibly can to have many, many people who've been waiting for baptism over the last year or so, uh, so that we can make sure that you can get that as soon as possible. Now, water baptism is, it symbolizes your entrance into Christ your initiation into Christ. You become a disciple by being baptized. In other words, it's the first step of discipleship. So if baptism is uh, an ordinance of Christian initiation, then the bread and the wine of communion is an ordinance of ongoing Christian participation. It has to do with you participating and going on to enjoy at ever-deepening levels everything that Jesus has done for you. I think it was the early church father Augustine who said, the sacraments or the ordinances are the visible words of the gospel and therein lie their power. The Bible says, Jesus said, well, Paul says rather that we proclaim the Lord's death through the communion service. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It's a proclamation. You see, the bread and the wine speak to us. They speak to us of the body and blood of Jesus. They speak to us of his sacrificial death. And like any proclamation of the word, when we mix that hearing of that proclamation, when we mix that proclamation with faith, it has a powerful effect on us. And it's that proclamation that enables us to appreciate and to appropriate and experience afresh and more deeply than previously everything that is symbolized in the bread and in the wine. So what does it do for us? The Bible describes baptism and communion, let me stick with communion, as a memorial, a memorial feast. The words of Jesus, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said that during his last supper with his disciples. 
And this became part of church life from the very beginning. But it was left to the Apostle Paul to expand on it a little bit. He received revelation from the Lord. And it says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and onwards, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is a memorial feast. At the simplest level, Jesus is calling us frequently to remember him and to remember him together in the company of other people around a meal, the communion meal. And, uh, but, but in this, it's not a memorial service, a mere memorial service. When we have a funeral service here, very often the people who are uh, concerned will ask for a celebration of the life of somebody or a memorial of that person's life. And to a tiny extent, that's what we do when we celebrate communion. We are remembering the Lord in a very tactile way that can help us get rid of any tendency we have to spiritual amnesia. It's so easy for us to forget, but there's something so powerful in taking the physical bread and the physical wine and focusing on these as symbols of the body and blood of Jesus. And it's a very significant way of remembering. This do in remembrance of me. Educationalists tell us that we remember far more what we do if we're learning that way than simply by listening or by reading. It's the action involved which drives home for us the remembrance of this great event. However, the memorial element of the Lord's Supper is even more powerful than just our human capacity and need to continually remember the Lord. The Old Testament is full of teaching about memorials, the place and value of memorials. If you study the Old Testament, you find that there were memorial objects, like the stones piled up from the midst of Jordan. And they would say, this is a testimony. We remember what God did for us through that memorial object. There are memorial offerings, memorial feasts, memorial days. And these were like a living testament, a physical reminder of some great act of God, some great promise that he made. And these memorials were intended to help keep the faith of the Israelites alive and to keep them in touch with their history. And more importantly, keep them in touch with the God of their history. Now, but it goes even further than that. So suppose you were amongst the 12 disciples eating the Lord's Supper with Jesus in that Passover feast. The Passover feast is a memorial feast. What's actually happening when you celebrate Passover 
as they did as Jews. Of course, Jesus transformed that Passover meal into the full memorial of communion as we know it in the Christian church. But they were participating in a memorial feast. So, of course, they would celebrate their history and go back to what was handed down to them, written in the scriptures and passed down by word of mouth of what God did to create the nation of Israel out of Egypt through the covenant of Moses and everything that God did to minister to them, provide for them and care for them. But more than just remembering what God did to other people, they were living in and enjoying the fruits of those previous events. Can you see that? There would be no Israel if God had not delivered them out of Exodus, if there had not been that Passover lamb. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And they perpetuated that to the point when they celebrated Passover, they were actually participating in the fruits of the event that they were commemorating. That's what communion is. It's not just that you remember that Jesus died 2,000 years ago, but more than that, you are celebrating your part, your participation in the fruits of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in a way that drives it home to us that he's alive right now. He is the Lord of communion. He's present with us as we celebrate it and we are enjoying the fruits of his labor, the fruits of his sacrifice on the cross. But there's another dimension to memorial. So far I've spoken about this being a reminder to us and a participation in the things that are exhibited in the bread and wine. But do you know that the memorial is as important to God as it is to us? I can think of two examples from the Old Testament very quickly. Take, for example, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 16. This is the scene after the flood. And you know, God regretted having created humanity because humanity had rebelled and turned its back upon God. And God said, I'm going to have to press the reset button. I'm going to have to wash away that old uh, 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 generation and bring in a new generation and start again. But of course, it was a harsh judgment upon humanity. And God said, I declare that I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. And the symbol of that covenant, that promise, was the rainbow. And this is what it says, Genesis 9, verse 16. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Did you pick that up? God says, when I see the rainbow, I will look on it and remember my promise. And in the same way, when God sees the bread and sees the wine that you are about to participate in, he says, I see the bread, I see the wine, and I remember my covenant. I will act to fulfill my covenant. 
The other example is in Exodus chapter 3. I'll refer to it briefly. You know the story when Moses is called by God speaking out of the burning bush. And and God said, I have heard the cry of my people. I have seen their afflictions and I have remembered my covenant and I have come down to deliver them. So when God remembers, it's not because he's got a poor memory and needs to write things down to jolt his memory. No, when it says this is a memorial for God, what it means is that God sees and God remembers so that he will act to fulfill his promise. So when you take the bread, when you take the wine, God is watching. And when he sees the bread and the wine, he promises he will act to intervene and bring to you the fulfillment of his covenant promises. That's why there is healing in communion. That's why there's deliverance in communion. That's why there is power in communion. God remembers his covenant and he acts as we participate in good faith and in the spirit. God remembers and God acts and God does stuff. Oh yes, he does. Yeah, give him praise. That's a, that's a great one. Now, something else that communion does for us, it's, it's spiritual food. Did you know that? You know, I, you know, I was brought up in the Anglican faith. I'm not exactly sure. I don't think I personally could committed my life to Christ. So I heard the gospel spelled out when I was 18 years of age. But who knows how much of that working in my heart brought me to that place of recognition. However, some of the stuff that I, I remember... I love these words from the Anglican liturgical communion. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. How many good old Anglicans do we have here? (laughs) I remember that. And you know, that is exactly my experience. I feel that when I take bread and the wine of communion, I am fed spiritually. Now, I suppose if we wanted to analyze that, it's not some magical, mystical thing, but the very moment that you take the bread and remember Jesus' death, it's a visible word. God is speaking to you. Take the cup, remembering the blood of Jesus. It's a physical event, but pointing to a spiritual reality. And in that participation in faith, you are fed through the enacting of the gospel through the listening to the visible words of the gospel and also by responding in your hearts. Um, One of the things that strengthens my view on this is uh, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. And here the Apostle Paul is teaching on communion. And um, to cut a long story short, he is taking examples from the experience of ancient Israel in the Old Testament and saying these things are both warnings and examples to us. And he says something quite remarkable. He said, they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them And that rock was Christ. Don't forget, this is the new covenant believing, spirit-filled perspective that can see the pictures and patterns in Old Testament stories to illustrate 
the truth and reality of the gospel under the new covenant. So, you know, uh, the et bread, we know it was the manna from heaven. Uh, and also, God gave them something to drink. There was this rock that Moses was supposed to speak to, and later he struck. He got into trouble for doing disobeying God at that one. But God provided something for them to drink. And it was spiritual drink because it was spiritually provided. And uh, uh, then also the, the bread, the, the manna, it was spiritual because it was miraculous. So Paul takes this and to say, that's exactly what happens to you when you take communion. If you participate in faith, it's not automatic. If you're not a believer, it won't do anything for you. And if you are a believer, it won't do anything for you unless you actively participate in faith. And that participation in faith transforms the bread and wine, not into the body and blood of Jesus. That's an over-literal interpretation of what Jesus said. When he said, this is my body, this is my blood, he, he was saying, this represents my body, this represents my, bud, uh, my blood. Just as when he says, I am the door, we don't look for the doorknob. We know that it's a, a metaphor. But it, it's transformed from mere metaphor into something dynamically, spiritually powerful when you take the bread of communion and participate in faith, God feeds your spirit. He gives you strength. Uh, I, I, I know I believe this, and I think obviously because I believe it, 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 it actually, I, I, I experience it because we, we experience things by faith. But if you begin to understand that the bread and wine is more than just physical elements, it doesn't get transformed into anything mystical or magical. But when you participate in faith, God acts to feed your soul. When I take the bread and wine of communion, invariably, I get up from that place stronger than before. It's the very life of Christ, not communicated physically through the body and blood or the bread and the wine, but spiritually imparted as I receive the bread and wine by faith. Just in case you are ardent students of this, I've mentioned Catholicism, Lutheranism, Zwingliism, um, but really um, my uh, pointers come from Calvin, who believed that the bread and wine were not magical or mystical, but they were still powerful as we receive the body and blood of Jesus or representations of the body and blood of Jesus by faith. There's so much to say on this. Now, another verse, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion or participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of or participation in the body and blood of Christ? A difficult scripture, you take it at face value. It says taking the bread and wine does something powerful by the Holy Spirit in your life. It actually is a means of ongoing participation by faith in the blessings of God. And in particular, the covenant blessings of God. For this is a covenant meal. In both accounts, or every account, it speaks about the, the blood of Jesus as 
the, the, the blood of communion or the, the wine of communion representing the blood of the new covenant. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Other references say the same thing. So this is a covenant meal. What are covenant meals all about? When there were covenant promises made or exchanged, very often they were sealed by a meal. Not just, oh, let's be nice to one another and have some food and fellowship. But in the ancient world, particularly in the ancient Near East, eating together was real communion. You're eating the same food. And this is why there's so much hospitality in that part of the world. And I've been the... Ben, uh, I've benefited from that hospitality and uh, it has really enlarged uh, the borders of my physical territory. There is no doubt about that. But more than simply people eating together, this covenant is a blood covenant and the blood is the pledge or guarantee of the covenant and is therefore a sign of the covenant itself. What does this mean to us? Putting some of those things together that I've already said, here it is. When you take part in faith, in the communion, as a believer, God undertakes to act and fulfill every single covenant promise He has ever made to you. That's why you can participate in communion and be healed. I have been in experiences where people have been delivered from demonic influence through the communion. I haven't time, and I'll come back another day. This, this actually is a condensed IBRL course put together in for a few moments, and what a love to, to, to expound this uh, uh, much, much more. But we'll come back to that at some stage. But this is the bottom line. God's covenant not only has been confirmed and ratified in Christ, it is applied to faith as we hear the word, believe the word, and also in this special way, he will act to fulfill his covenant in our lives. Then finally, before we actually come down to do this together, there is something about the unity of the body of Christ. Paul says, we are one body because we share in the one bread of communion. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 17. So you say, well, in, in French, I mean, I'm being very, very European today. I've mentioned a few French things. We call this fraction. It's the breaking of bread, fraction. And that sounds like an ugly word. We are breaking it up into pieces. That sounds like disunity, but no, 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 no. Paul says, yeah, you can break up the loaf into a thousand pieces, but in God's eyes, it's still one loaf, one loaf of communion. Now then, I don't want to exaggerate a point, but let me try and drive this home for you who are at home. Here we are, we're not participating in exactly breaking bread from a single loaf. It's all been pre-packed in this rather unpleasant package here. Not criticizing it, but still we're grateful for it. And you at home, you might have taken a slice of bread and you maybe can share that 
with, with your members of your family. But in a very real way, we are all participating together in the one loaf, the one loaf of communion. And we are one because we share the one loaf of communion. In other words, communion works to enhance our unity and to help us stay together and express the fact that we are one with Christ and one with one another and one with every other believer. Every other believer. There is something so powerful in this. And you know what? We can be as Protestant, evangelical, charismatic believers. We can be a little bit critical of other traditions and say, well, we don't do that. But I want to tell you, whatever your tradition, whatever your understanding, the spiritual reality is this, that we are one body in Christ Jesus and there's only one head and his name is Christ Jesus. So one of the wonderful ways of strengthening our unity and expressing our unity across all divisions in uh, Christianity. One of the ways of, yes, somebody said the Spirit of God. Absolutely. Thank you, man. You're helping me preach today. The Spirit of God makes us one. And one of the ways in which he does that is by our sharing together in the one loaf of communion. Even if there be theologians listening to me, and God help you if you are a Lutheran theologian or, or a Catholic theologian right now or, and that, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but, but one thing where we can join together uh, is in understanding our unity in the Spirit and in the body of Christ, which is exhibited and enhanced as we take communion together. That's why Paul says, put your heart right. Don't come with unforgiveness in your heart. Let that, don't, don't stop coming, but put that on one side. And then finally, finally, this is my third finally. Finally, finally, this is a meal of thanksgiving. It's a thanksgiving meal. We celebrate as best as we can in this country, the American Thanksgiving Day. I visited America many years ago and experienced Thanksgiving. I was uh, with Robert Sledden and his family and it was just so amazing. I brought it back and I wasn't the first to do this, but brought it back and we celebrate Thanksgiving in as much as we give the staff a day off Christmas parties. No, 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 give them a day off at Christmas, but this is where we get together and eat. And it's so wonderful to thank God together. That's why one of the ways of describing this is that it's a, a, the Eucharist which sounds a very high church, but basically it means it's the thanksgiving. We are thanking God for what Jesus did for us. All these things and many other things as well happen when you take communion.